The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. Ah. Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. The boss tell you that, you know, hey, when you're here in person, it's a great show and you should move up and, like, hang out with Chris more. I miss you. Oh, you're not here. Oh, sorry, you're somewhere else. Man, it was so fun being around you that last few days. Now you're gone. I'm all by myself again. Damn. 16 minutes later. Are you freaking kidding me? It's, it's really damn perfect. good. What Kool-Aid are you drinking? Well, I don't know. I'm, look, I'm drinking Avenue. the Kool-Aid it's where the team can perfect. be worse than football and then go to the Super Bowl the next year. That's the Kool-Aid I'm drinking. I'm in reality. Well, you're in if well, world right now. If, what's, buts, well, do this. But- Oh, man. You know, we fight, but we don't fight. We I never know. get mad. No. We don't even have to have like a, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. It's fine. It's good. We don't even have that communication. We don't. Fact. It Not happens. at all. We say what we think. We don't get upset, and we keep going. People enjoy it as long as it doesn't last too long. It sometimes <laughs> makes the loyal viewers and listeners a little nervous because they think we mean it they think that this is the first step towards some sort of a separation after <laughs> six years my god it six has been years six years <laughs> as of like august right i think it's like august when you officially started in 2017 so the show is pft live the show itself has been around in some form or another since 2011 all the way back to a digital show, digital only. Now it's digital streaming on Peacock, home of an exclusive wild card playoff. Boom! Coming January 13, 2024. Four ninety nine a month. I'm going to say that every day. Four ninety nine a month. Which also isn't free. Nobody complains about buying Sirius. It's not free either. People have that. Everybody has that. You don't need that. You got free radio everywhere. You buy Sirius, it's more than four ninety nine a month. I don't hear people complaining to me about that. So stop it. You're still it's getting complaints. You're still you're podcast. still getting things in your email yes. about this. You are. Wow. Yes, I know it's a, it's a hot button. Top I should topic. get right. 
I need to talk to somebody at NBC about getting a little more money because in addition to my regular duties, I'm doing like customer service. Now, they may not be thrilled with the messages <laughs> I'm eventually communicating to some Are of the Are we recording these? Do you record still, these spending. messages just in case? <laughs> This is on a recorded line yeah. for customer service purposes. Now, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm spending more than I want of my time fending off those who are still pissed about the Peacock game. And then when I do radio spots now, like I'm the unofficial Peacock NBC representative that they want to ask questions of about this, and I put my spiel out there. Some version of what I said the other day. It's only four ninety nine, and you are not tied for the rest of your life to the streaming services you already have. All you have to do, if you think you have too many, is pick one and get rid of it and get Peacock, folks. It isn't all that difficult. Anyway, uh, speaking of streaming, I don't know if you saw this, Chris. You were talking about watching the basketball game or not watching the basketball. Game, I have. Uh, my son had a ba- baseball game, started. so I didn't get to see it. It was it was a late. I was under the lights. It was a cold night in the Northeast. It was like thirty nine degrees, and I was outside from like seven thirty to about ten o'clock last night watching twelve uh, year old baseball. Well, if you had your phone with you, and if you have a YouTube TV account, you could have been peeking at the game while Good watching Good baseball. Point. Right. Apparently, well, or not, depending upon what time of the game you tuned into YouTube TV, there was a big to-do last night because at some point, with about four minutes to play in the game, and my dad told me years ago, if you watch anything more than the last four minutes of a basketball game, you're wasting your time. So this is it. Crunch time. Heat holding a small lead. TNT goes to commercial. Apparently, it was a commercial for the upcoming live-action version of The Little Mermaid. And the commercial played and played and played and played. And the game never came back. Are you kidding me? Watching on YouTube TV. Are you kidding me? It never came back. So it just kept on repeating. Wow, that's a new one right there. That's going to challenge, you know, uh, the old Heidi... Raiders Jets game from back in the late 60s. First thing I thought of. I mean, holy cow. First thing I thought of. (laughs) From the NFL's perspective, because who's got Sunday ticket starting this year? YouTube TV. That's a little scary. So everybody's on notice. We're just a few months away from the debut of Sunday ticket on YouTube TV. Now, I saw the folks who run the sports TV ratings Twitter account said that it apparently had something to do with something called dynamic ad insertion that TNT did on the YouTube TV platform or YouTube TV did it on the TNT feed and that that's likely not going to be an issue with the streaming of the Sunday ticket games. But look, how do we know that? How do we know that YouTube TV isn't going to pull out every trick that it has to try to make as much money as it can to offset the mammoth price of Sunday ticket. It's not just going out and selling more subscriptions. It's selling advertising that gets embedded within these games. So YouTube TV, 345 Park Avenue on notice. Not that DirecTV was a perfect product by any means. It seemed like there were more issues last year than ever before. But there should not be. And I've had YouTube TV for several years now. I've never had an issue. It rarely, if ever, buffers. I wasn't watching last night. Boy, if I was a basketball fan and I had gone through that, I would be pissed today. So 
I, I'm just shocked that way. Get like, your it, stuff it, together, NFL and YouTube TV. Definitely. Like, Mike, you said it happened with, what, four-plus minutes left, and then it went through the entire game? Like, that, that's the shocking thing. I, I had no idea about this. What, I mean, that's what scares me about YouTube YouTube TV, like, as compared to our traditional TV or even direct TV. I feel like, you know, you can call and there's customer service and there's people there working to fix issues. With YouTube TV, they're like, ah, it's the internet. It never goes wrong. Just uh, hang in there a little longer. I don't know. That's, that's what scares me about it a little bit. But that's a little shocking. It took four minutes in an NBA game, as you know, and your father probably told you this because, bingo, you brought up your father's quote when you brought up NBA basketball. But, like, four minutes means there's, what, another 40 minutes left in the game, right? By the time the timeouts and everything, free throws and everything goes, I'm just shocked that it wasn't fixed by, the, by then. And as Matt Casey points out, because obviously we don't want to get sued by YouTube TV, it's the first bad experience he's had with YouTube TV. The first one And I've ever. never had a bad experience because <laughs> right. I wasn't watching it last night, so I'm still unblemished record with YouTube TV. I mean, it is a great service, and as long as your internet is up, which, you know, how often do you have an internet outage? And the internet outage consists of going down to the basement, unplugging the modem and plugging it back right. in, and then it's fine. Right. Rarely is it knocked out. I remember when I was a kid, like, you just accepted the fact that randomly every couple of weeks the cable would be out. Yeah, right, And you right. couldn't watch TV right. until the cable came back on. Yeah. And with the satellite dish, if it's raining too hard or if it's snowing, you're screwed. Yeah, right. So this right. works great. And what's great about it is, like, when I was up in Connecticut on uh, Sunday through Tuesday. Right. Looking for houses to move up here. pop up your yeah. phone. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you done? Yeah. You barely got started. I would pop up UTP TV, and it's like being at home. It asks you, are you there temporarily? Yeah, and you, they, it, you can watch your local channels. You, you pull up your library of shows. You watch whatever you want. I, do people even use the TVs in the hotel rooms anymore? What's the point? I don't think much. You can You're stream right. it all on your phone. Right. right. And I think now you can like do the whatever it's called where you press the button and it comes up on the TV on the on the wall. But but regardless, YouTube TV has been a great product for me. I hope it's a great product for the folks who have Sunday ticket and it's just one of those things where it's a warning. Danger Will Robinson, let's make sure everything is fine when September rolls around. And also, even though it didn't involve Peacock, probably a reminder. Let's check that. Make sure that Let's make sure that glitch is out of our system. Right, right. <laughs> extra capacity <laughs> right. that there is no glitch. Because that's one of the complaints I got from people. Well, you have issues too. Remember the day that you were green? It's not a streaming issue. Remember the day I was green? Oh, uh, yeah, when you it had jaundice. Camera issue. <laughs> right. It right. had nothing to do uh, that was with great. Peacock <laughs> other, than, other than I was the color of one of the Peacock's feathers. That uh, was the only link to Peacock. My mom calling me after the show. Oh, honey, I, I think Mike's sick. I think something's wrong with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mom, he's okay. There was something wrong with the camera today. We don't know what went on. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was something. Every once in a while, we'll use a clip from that day, and there it is, the day that my liver stopped functioning, uh, and I somehow managed to stay alive despite being somewhere on the spectrum between yellow and green. Okay, uh, anything else going on? We've, we've nah. this, this is the time of year where we can even burn extra time I know. talking about things unrelated to the football. And, you know, it's funny.
I watch Morning Joe every morning, and now I'm going to get emails saying, oh, you watch MSDNC. Well, yes, I do. Sorry, it's my choice. You watch what you want. I watch what I want. I enjoy Morning Joe. And Joe filibusters through the first 10 or 15 minutes about all sorts of crap, and it irritates the hell out of Mika Brzezinski, and it's funny. And and so they I waste can't time, imagine. too. And there's always an endless supply of politics to discuss. So if they can waste time, we can waste time. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a funny dynamic. Every now and then I do see a clip and I, I do chuckle, right? What was the one I saw like two weeks ago where he, he cursed or said something in like the opening segment and she was all like flustered by it and told him to, you know, be quiet or whatever. It, it's uh, I can't imagine working with your wife and that type of job where you got to discuss some serious topics and you do get a little emotional at times. Oh, when he gets cranked up, he'll drop the S-bomb just I, like you right. do. And I think yeah. at least once, right. I think at least once something had him really upset and he let an F-bomb fly. I mean, what the <laughs> hell? It's not regulated by the FCC. You say what you want. That's where the world is going. We see it more and more often to the point where it's being normalized. I mean, we've all had all kinds of crazy shit normalized over the last seven sure. years. Why not? Why not the way that we always speak? I've said this for a long time. Life is rated R. I mean, if yeah. you were going to put a rating on your day-to-day life with a camera following you around, That's right. 99% of the population, it would be rated R, and the other 1% is lying. Yeah. Kids got to learn sometime, right? That's, That's right. That's why I stick to that. That's right. That's That's right. You got to learn sometime. That's right. <laughs> and you never know when a four-year-old is going to show up with Regis and drop the F-bomb. That's right. While comes, Dad is hovering anywhere. nervously, ready to, ready to slap his, his hand over four-year-old Christopher's <laughs> exactly. mouth as the F-bomb comes out. <laughs> at Regis and and as Danny DeVito is insulted by Chris Sims who already at age four was taller than Danny DeVito and said to him you're small isn't that what you said <laughs> I did I I looked I looked at him I looked at my dad and I said dad he's really small and I said it loud enough that Danny DeVito heard me and my dad said he looked at me like oh you little freaking kid like he said that so yeah yeah it was still uh, an unbelievable memory and a, and a tape that we pop in as a family every now and then that's great. That's great. Uh, and Danny DeVito aware of his size. Yeah, that's that's, right. I think, I think he was very Bryce secure. Right. Said to Peter <laughs> right. King back yeah. in late February, I've been this size my whole life. Right. Uh, okay. Let's talk some Cowboys. Let's Cowboys making some news because Dan Quinn had some things to say recently about this question of Michael Parsons. Now, by way of background, Michael Parsons said, apparently not that long ago, he's bulking up this offseason in the hopes of becoming with the plan of converting to full-time defensive end. We talked about that a little bit. Hey, better place to get paid. Defensive ends make more than linebackers, better position to get sacks, yada, yada. Here's Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys from over the weekend, I believe, as part of the rookie minicamp when he was available to reporters on this question of whether or not Michael Parsons, an all-pro linebacker, will now attempt to become an all-pro, full-time defensive end. So he is a pass-rushing linebacker. Okay, so if you ever need uh, <laughs> position changes, come to me. Okay, <laughs> not to any of the guys, and we can adjust for that. I think what he was probably trying to say is, I'm really emphasizing some pass-rush uh, into my offseason. So that's what the boss is saying, and Micah Parsons may disagree. Again, I'm not sure whether or not he actually said it or someone characterized his words in a way that may have not been 100% accurate. But 
let there be no confusion. The guy who's responsible for the defense in Dallas says he's not moving to full-time defensive end, but he is a pass-rushing linebacker. We've seen it. They move him around. And that's the best thing you can be as a defensive player. Versatile. Play every position you possibly can. You can be deployed at a moment's notice here, there, and everywhere. Makes it harder for the offense, for the quarterback, for the line to know where the hell the red dot defender is. The guy that you always have to account for. Throwing on top of the fact that he has a tremendous skill set that you have to contend with, you never know where it's coming from. That's right. He's a, he's an unreal weapon. And you're right. There's a guy that, uh, is, even a stand-up linebacker, that the quarterback, the center, the offensive line have to account for him a lot of the times in pass protection, even with other threats going on. Like, oh, they might blitz over here, but wait, Micah's standing up over here. So we can't have a back blocking Micah because that'll be a sack every time. So we got to figure out how to get one of our 5-0 linemen over there with also being able to pick up a blitz over here, right? So that's where he has great value. You know, I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, right, Mike? I mean, what do the numbers bear out from last year? Micah Parsons played defense end somewhere north of se- – I was going to say 700 snaps almost, something like that. There, there, there. Here's it. If you're watching on, on, uh, on TV here, you'll see that it's 859 snaps on defensive line. Off the ball, 203 snaps. So I don't think there's going to be much discussion when it comes contract time on the current course we're on here, right, that he's, he's going to be a defense end. That's where it's trending. That's where he's going to continue to go. And, you know, the other thing, Mike, is I, I don't even know if it matters for this guy. This guy has gotten to, a, I think, a, in, a, in a class of his own here where it's just like, I, you know, some of the quotes of what Dan Quinn and everybody said. This is football player. This is hands down one of the best defensive players in football. You know, as a guy that I thought should should have won the the uh, NFL defense MVP as a rookie, you know, over T.J. Watt in his great year of 22 sacks and all of that. So that's where I think when the rubber meets the road and the contract and all of that, I don't think this is going to be an issue, at least uh, as far as numbers are concerned. Can we put that graphic back up? Because yeah. it is a dramatic shift right? from year one to year two. Crazy. 60-40 off the ball linebacker. As a rookie, 80-20 the other way in his second year. And they realize he can do a lot of damage as a guy rushing from the edge. And in many respects, he's more effective and more valuable to the team when he's doing that. Steven Jones, a guy who carries many titles, son of the owner and GM, is the most relevant as it relates to the future of the franchise. At some point, he'll probably be running the whole show. He said that... What position he plays won't be an issue when it's time to talk new contract. He's a great defensive football player. That's his position. Right. And some guys are so good, they transcend the label that you put on them. Exactly. It's not about saying, well, we have to pay you in relation to the rest of the market at your position. Right. Micah Parsons is a unicorn, one of one. Yes. And that's that's the downside of scratching off that lottery ticket and getting a big winner, the bigger the winner, the more you got to pay when the time comes to give him a new contract. And we both know from meeting with Michael Parsons, talking to Michael Parsons, he's a student of the business of the game. Definitely. He's not going to mess around when it's time to get paid. And he'll be eligible after this season. My guess is as soon as this upcoming season ends, yes. Michael Parsons is going to make it clear, I won't be back until I get what I have coming to me. I, I, I think that's perfectly fine. 
He's one of those rare cases where after three years in the NFL, there's no doubt. You know how special he is. Like you said, he's transcendent. There's a reason for the first two years of his career. We all compared him, right, to Lawrence Taylor and someone that was a unicorn of himself 40 years ahead of time. So, you, you know, you explained it right when you talked about the player. He's special from all aspects. He's a physical specimen, let alone he's just got great instincts to play the game. He likes studying it. He's all over it that way. And then he likes the mentality of it as well. So so it's like it's everything. Physical, mental, you know, love of the game, great natural feel, has everything. I mean, and then the way he moves here. I mean, come on. This is a 250-pound man who's moving like a Saquon Barkley. That's it, that's crazy. It really is. And with him and the value, you know, like you're talking about here, Mike, I mean, I mean, it, that's, that's, it, this is a position other than quarterback that I think affects teams winning the Super Bowl more than any other position, right? Pass rusher, DN, so of course I expect them to be there. You go through time and you go through teams that won Super Bowls, right? You know, hey, you can go at Reggie White and the Packers and, of course, everything he did with the, with the Eagles. Richard Dent, high draft pick for the Bears, right? Bruce Smith, the Super Bowl runs there. Lawrence Taylor, like I've said, Von Miller. We can go down the list. It, this is the position here, and I would think they're going to pony up whatever they got to pony up for this guy. Every few years, we're reminded in very stunning and dramatic fashion at the Super Bowl what the value of a great pass rush right. is. Vaughn right. Miller, Super Bowl 50. Yep. Super Bowl 55, when Patrick Mahomes couldn't get away from the pass rush of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now the toe injury he had was a factor. Can we put that video back up? Yeah, yeah right? Because you didn't know it was Jamar Chase at first, I right? Well, I, I didn't know it was well, Jamar Chase I also, at first. I also have a question. I also have a question. How did Danny DeVito get out there? I know. that's the, Look at Deuce Vaughn. I know. My well, God. Right. Right. My God, how small he is in comparison to the others. Well, he's 5'6". But see, this is where, you know, size is different in the NFL. Because you go, wait, I, I've always been able to win with my speed and my quickness. And he's going to go, you're going to go, well, now you're on a field with a guy that's 255 and he's faster and quicker than you are. So, yeah, the size is a, is a, a difference here. Here's Michael Parsons. I mean, that's Jamar Chase. I mean, I you know, I don't even care if they're not wearing cleats or somebody cheated the line a half an inch or whatever. That's just insane. Jamar Chase is arguably the most explosive receiver in football and not named Tyree Kill. So it just tells you about Micah Parsons, what kind of athlete and specimen he is. Yeah, I mean, Micah Parsons, special, special, and he will be getting compensated like accordingly highest paid player ever mike in defense you think that kind of money we talking that oh yeah yeah Yeah. right as as the cap keeps growing it's always going to be like highest paid in history it sounds good for media purposes but what's it going to be the highest paid player in the sport is going to be making less than the highest paid player in the sport was at that position 20 years ago it's going to keep going up because it's driven by the cap i I was but you think he's back and forth yesterday i made the mistake I, I, hang on a second. I made yeah. the mistake of responding to this because I, I guess people get upset with this idea that these guys are making so much money. Why shouldn't they make this money? It's an entertainment business that attracts interest, eyeballs, and dollars. It's a meritocracy. And if people are surrendering their money, if advertisers are paying the money, if broadcast partners are 
are spending the money, if people are spending the money at the stadiums, why shouldn't the players be the ones who get a lot of it? Why are we offended by the fact? Because I get the same old argument. Oh, school teachers don't get that much money. Well, nobody pays to watch school teachers teach. That's where the revenue comes from. People pay. People spend their time. It's a spectator sport. It is part of our entertainment, our diversions from the crap of life. The men who are providing the those those pieces of entertainment for us deserve to get paid, especially when you consider the physical risk. So it just drives me crazy. Oh, it's when insane. People resent the money that these guys make. I'm sorry for the diversion, but I was really triggered by this yesterday because the guy wouldn't let it go. No, it's wouldn't constant. Let it go. It's, it's constant, destroying society. Mike. It's on get your the hell out of here with it, that. It's, it's destroying exactly. society. I hear you. It's on your comments and even when the article that you write about it. It's it's everywhere. It's annoying. You know, I see it too. And then you go on uh, like their social media and you look at them and you go, wait, everything this guy believes is about capitalism, but not for the football player. That, that's where you're like, what? Yeah. He's all about it, but not for the athlete. I, and then it makes me think, why, why, why are you against the athlete? It's annoying. Either way, Michael Parsons, though, Mike, back to that a little there, like where this one's different, though, is because the highest paid player on the defensive side of the ball is, is, is a wide margin, right? With Aaron Donald, and then what, what do we got? T.J. Watt is number two right now. So that's why I was asking. You think that Micah Parsons next year ups even Aaron Donald and, and sets a new standard at, at, on the defensive side of the ball? I think that if the Cowboys are smart this time, if they've learned anything from mishandling Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, they will go to Micah Parsons immediately and offer him an extension that with new money APY makes him the highest paid defensive player in the history of the sport. Here it is. And and the best way to do it, the smart way to do it, I still keep waiting for someone to do this. When they changed the CBA in 2011 to make it three years instead of two years before you could extend the contract of a draft pick. Technically, the window opens after the player's third regular season ends. I keep waiting for a team to have the contract pre-negotiated and signed the day after the regular season ends so the player doesn't have to go into the postseason of that year carrying the injury risk. I keep waiting for a player to say, I'm not playing after the regular season conclusion of my third year. We got a playoff game, That's I want my contract. I, this is the moment where I can get it. I want it. If the Cowboys are smart because they screwed around with Dak. They screwed around with Zeke. They did that whole, aw, shucks, take one for the team. You're a Cowboy. You're going to make all this other money. And it didn't work. It blew up in their faces, especially with Dak's contract. I think they will have learned. Do not mess around with Michael Parsons. Have the contract ready. Have him sign it the day after the regular season ends. Take on the injury risk. Give him his reward. Make him the highest paid player on the defensive side of the ball in all of football and be happy that you have him. Yeah. That's what they need to do. Yeah, agreed with that. Agreed. This is, you know, you, you said it right, Mike. This is unicorn. This is the kind of guy that comes around. It's, it's only, you know, so often, you know. And then, and then it, it's also, I think what's crazy is I think he's only like, he hasn't even got to his top potential as a pass rusher. You know, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing. 
And I just, with a little more time and effort and, you know, working on that part of his craft is the hand fighting, the body angles, having to read the offensive tackles and their sets and their footworks and where their hands are. I think he's only going to get better. Because, like, when I talk to coaches that, like, play Micah Parsons and Dallas Cowboys, that, that's the one thing they always say. It's like, it's not that his moves are that great. He's just such a physical freak that he's, people still can't block him. And that they even say, like, man, when he starts to learn some different variety of moves and things, watch out. And I think we could see that this year. It, this, is a, this is an awesome football player, like you said, and a guy you can't take your eyes off of when he's on the field. They would be – I mean, they can't. I'm sure they'd love to be able to extend his contract now because the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to get. They have to wait one more year. If they wait a year beyond that, it's going to get more expensive. Now, maybe they're playing the long game with one of these days, one of these guys is going to get injured and it's going to dramatically reduce his value and it would have been smart to wait. But they weren't smart to wait with Dak. They weren't smart to wait with Zeke. They got into bad situations with both of them. Now, Stephen Jones also addressed this issue of re-signing some of their star players who are up for extension. So maybe for most guys, they're going to be as careful as they've been. Here's what he said. I feel like as we move forward, it will all be about timing, but we feel like we can work within the parameters of the cap and make those types of things happen. I wouldn't say just because we don't get it done by the start of the season doesn't mean we're not going to ultimately sign at them. We're currently at a big number with Dak, so when the really daunting part comes is when you move from a rookie contract to making the type of money quarterbacks make now. Don't blame it on Dak. Blame it on yourself for screwing around and putting Dak in a position of extreme power. He was able to leverage the best quarterback deal out there because it combines high APY with short duration. Gets him back to the table sooner, and he's already got them over a barrel again after two years of this four-year contract. The cap number's high, and he's got mechanisms built into this contract that if they don't get it done, he becomes a free agent. They can't tag him the way the voids work, and when they kick in, it's been perfectly and expertly negotiated to set him up for another huge payday or a trip to the open market. And the sooner they do it, the better off they're going to be. But don't blame it on him. Blame it on yourself. It's not his fault. It's your fault for mishandling the situation. He's gotten paid, and now what they need him to do is a contract that reduces his cap number. That's on them to figure it out. And it's going to be interesting this time around because are they going – at what point are they going to say – Yeah, yeah. Start over. Right. Start over or wait. Are they going to? Are they even tempted to do that? Right. I I, I know. I know. I, I'm with you there in the that that part of it being very intriguing and going. Wait, would they start over? Right. Or they're going to let them know that like, listen, you're not these guys. Sorry, you're good, but you're just not them right now. You're not. You know, it, it's Dak Prescott's year was underwhelming last year. I'm a big Dak Prescott fan. You know that. He's been consistently like in my top 10 quarterback rankings and, and that. And I think there's been more value than people have realized. But it, last year was not a great year. He didn't take care of the ball. He missed throws. He didn't make as many plays, right? He's still really damn good. But he was being, he's being paid as a starter and starting quarterback at the Dallas Cowboys to be the man and win and pull through in some big moments – when they weren't supposed to win the game. That's what you're being and, – and that's where Dak Prescott is. It's a part of his career he's missing right now, let alone it's like, no, no, you know, you got beat on as the better team 
at home against Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, right? We've seen some of that. We've seen them lay some eggs in some playoff games. And then, of course, last year with the way the year ended, I mean, that was – he played really bad in the in the NFC Divisional game. I mean, really bad. He threw two interceptions in really one of, two of the most crucial moments of the football game that were inexcusable oh. for a guy like him, let alone the last game of the regular season against Washington that was really bad too. So, you know, there's got to be a little bit of a bitter taste in uh, the Cowboys' brass's mouth there a little bit. Oh, he knows because the – the content team made sure he knew. <laughs> That's right. And the That's Chargers right. made sure we knew. <laughs> and right. were reminded of it in the schedule release video last week. I'm looking at his contract now. Yeah. And look, they did four years, $160 million, $40 million per year, which at the time they did it in 2021 wasn't top of the market. It was $5 million short of Mahomes' APY. But as I explained at the time, it's a much better contract because of the cash flow right. and because it's only four years. Right. It's not 12 years. It's four years. You're back at the table. You get another opportunity. But given the restructuring they've done to manage the cap numbers, they've got him to a point where his cap number for this year is $26.8 million, which isn't bad. No. It's not bad. Here's the problem. Next year, <laughs> next year, it's $59.4 million. And... You can't restructure in the last year of a contract. I mean, you can with voidable years. You can convert, and then you have. But but you can't do it as easily as you can when you have years left. He's going to want, and he's going to need new contract. So you got Dak, you got Michael Parsons, and is there a point? Could there become a dilemma for the Cowboys where they have to choose between one or the other? Could they have to choose between Dak Prescott and Micah Parsons? And just based on the things I've heard you say the past 20 minutes, I already know the answer as to which one you would choose. Definitely. If you had to choose between one or the other. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Micah Parsons the Micah Parsons is the first guy we, we've talked about in the last decade that's taken the mantle from Aaron Donald to where we go, no, this is the best defensive player in football. Dak Prescott's really damn good, and I believe you can win a, quarter, a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. I certainly, you know... Don't don't want to disrespect what he can do, but has he played to the level of like you said, kind of a groundbreaking contract at the time, right? Yeah, Mahomes was better, but I mean, like first three years cash flow, right? As you we explained and talked about last week, it's not even close. I mean, Dak Prescott's killing it that way, right? It was not nearly as team friendly that. And so, will he maybe look at that this time around and start to go? You know what? I've made some money now. I did good there. Maybe I'll, I'll dial it back a little bit so we make sure we get C.D. Lamb under contract and we give Michael Parsons everything he deserves. And Trayvon Diggs is another guy coming down the pipe here that, you know, is a special unicornish type of player there. So they got some people on their radar here that they're going to have to pay big bucks. They got big personalities and they're big ballers and they want to be paid and that's the Dallas Cowboy way and, you know, that's what they're going to have to deal with. One of these times with one of these quarterbacks I know when you get into the back and forth over what he's worth I'd love to let the team allow the player to hit the market let's just see let the market decide what he's worth that that's why I hate the franchise tag yeah it provides an artificial barrier to the opportunity for everyone to know what the player is truly worth and the Cowboys played that game with Dak now it was about to blow up in their faces and they did this four-year 160 million dollar deal but at some point, let, let the world find out what a guy 
would get from another team. And it would be a fascinating question right now. If Dak Prescott were available after this season to any team out there, how much would he get? How much would someone offer him? Would someone get rid of the quarterback they have and make a beeline for Dak Prescott? I don't know where he fits. He's not on my short list of franchise quarterbacks right now. He's right. on the other side of that line. Right. And it'll be interesting where you have him in your top 40 as we work our way up, and we'll have a few more of them later in the program. But there's only one way for the player and the team to learn what the player is truly worth, and that's for the player to hit the market. And the Ravens kind of did that with Lamar Jackson, but the problem was there was two first-round draft picks as compensation, the whole fully guaranteed contract thing, the absence of an agent. I don't know that Lamar Jackson got a true picture of what another team right. viewed him as being worth, and it still worked out for him well with the Ravens because the Ravens were looking at life without him. But I'd love to have a chance to find out what the rest of the league thinks of Dak Prescott because that would be the best way for he and the Cowboys to get a fair contract that carries them into the future if they choose that they want to keep continuing. I think what happens, Chris, is that because they found him in round four and they've developed him into this franchise quarterback, there's a certain amount of ego and pride yeah, right. that prevents them from saying right. we're going to start over again. Right. I really feel like they take ownership. They take too much ownership and yeah. too much ego that creeps into their business decisions. Yes, right. I, I'd agree with you there, right? I feel like to Ezekiel Elliott, that you could kind of speak to that with that contract, that it got a little personal because he was their guy, and they went out on a limb and took a running back in the top five, and he was really good early on in his career, and they got backed into a corner and paid him too much money. I feel like it's a little bit like you said – you know, they back themselves into a corner here a little bit with this conversation with Dak Prescott, but also have like, let us have little warning signs that they're not always like exactly pleased or they want more from them at the position, you know, whether it's, you know, being thrown under the bus by the, uh, the media team there and, and every, the social team there in Dallas, or, you know, I can think of, I think of like two years ago, I think they played at Seattle, right? Do you remember after that game where uh, Jerry Jones made some comments like, man, well, their quarterback ran around and make some plays. I wish our quarterback would run and make some of those plays and do some of that stuff, right? You know, I, I feel like, you know, they almost realize he's not superstar to a degree. But again, it's like, okay, we got one who's good. He's not, you know, Mahomes or Allen or that kind of guy, but he's good. And we don't know what we could get or what's going to be better than him at quarterback. And because of all that and the things you explained and his good start to his early career, I think they backed themselves into a little bit of a corner there as well. But as we saw just with like the Niners and Brock Purdy, when Cooper Rush was playing quarterback, the Dallas Cowboys were still a really good football team. And to your point, I know, when is one team going to have the guts to maybe make that decision? You know, it's funny. Cooper Rush became a free agent. We had a chance to see what the market would bear for his services. And not even a cricket, not even a ripple, not even a consideration of him going somewhere where he could maybe be the placeholder while a rookie gets ready. He goes back to Dallas for you know a reasonable contract for a backup. Nothing to write home about. And it's just, yeah, the, the guy was 4-0 and last year. I think, or he had, he, he's, he's got some tremendous record of winning. Right. Might've been the four games and one. he's played. Yeah. And yes. And he's, and he's, 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 he runs, he runs the offense. Right. And you know, remember what happened last year when he came in, you were right on this from the get go. He forced the Cowboys to be more creative offensively. They no longer could just sit back and say, we have Dak, he'll do his thing. They had to be more creative about moving the football 
offensively with running it and passing it and fooling the defense, game planning, putting in more time, putting in more effort. That's one of the dangers. When you have a great quarterback, one of the real dangers, and this is something you've taught me, is relying upon the guy instead of combining the guy with a relentless work ethic and passion to get the most out of the guy. Too many teams will sit back and say, He's got this. He's got it. We're good. Instead of, we need to help him get it. Right, right. We need to help him get it. And then, yeah, he's got this and then more, right? I think that's, that's, you know, where we get into the Mahomes conversation. There's a little of that. Like, he's got it, but they're always tinkering with a new way to help him out and, you know, you know, help him even make our jaws drop even more. That's what the, the really good ones are. Same with, like, I used to laugh with Tom Brady, right, in New England when I early, early in our our working relationship. I, why is it that the best team with the best quarterback runs the most trick plays? But why is that? Why doesn't anybody else do that, right? I mean, that's again, that's good offensive football. So it is. It's a trap a lot of organizations fall into, and we saw Dallas focus on the run game and get more creative because of that You know, last year with the absence of Dak Prescott. Um, but, but uh, yeah, this is a big year. I think there's a big spotlight on Dallas and – they're a team that's semi in the Super Bowl window, and the quarterback has not played up to the standards of what I think I thought he might be or what the Cowboys thought he might be when he signed the contract. Bottom line, they still haven't been to the NFC Championship game since the year 1995. And this year, a lot more pressure on head coach Mike McCarthy because he is running the offense. And there are many who believe the Dan Quinn defensive coordinator is the guy who will take over if and when McCarthy no longer is the guy in the opinion of the Joneses who run the team. The Eagles have passed the Cowboys by. They not only went to the NFC Championship, they got to the Super Bowl. Oh, and they won one back in 2017 with a very different team than what they have now. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected The unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life... Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Here is a little from tight end Dallas Goddard, receiver A.J. Brown, about getting over their loss to the Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. 
after the Super Bowl, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get back. Uh, you know, that was the toughest loss I've ever had in my career. And uh, the only thing I wanted to do from that time on is uh, get back, start this new season so we can uh, go out there and prove. I think, if anything, it puts a chip on uh, the entire team's shoulder. And, uh, you know, based on what we've done in OTAs, uh, it looks like that's the entire team's mindset. And it looks like uh, we got a lot of guys that are super hungry to uh, try to replicate the season we had last year. You know, you just can't dwell on it. You know, you know that's life. You know, not everything's going to go your way. And at some point, you got to get off the mat and you got to get back working. I look at it in terms of it's just life, man. You know, um, of course, you can, you can want something so bad, you know. But if it's not your time, it's just not your time. And, you know, and get back to work. You know, I, I mean, don't quit because you never know because next time could be your time. So, you know, we, we one day at a time, you know. We're not trying to look ahead, you know, the season's far, as, far ahead. But, you know, we're working like one day at a time. Now, look, I think different Super Bowl hangovers affect different teams right? differently based upon the circumstances of how they lost. Yeah, sure. Eagles had the game won. They're up 10 points in the second half. It felt like they were going to win the game. Right. And it fell apart. That complicates the overall psychology of getting over it. And the challenges, and remember three years ago, was it three years ago or four years ago? I think it's already been four years ago. God. When Kyle Shanahan was asked about his goals for the 49ers the year after they lost to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, he said something along the lines of, goal is to get back to where we were last year, up 10, up 10 points with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl, and hang on. Well, that's the hard part. The easy part is holding a 10-point lead for the final seven minutes of a Super Bowl. At least it should be. The hard part is checking every box necessary to get yourself in position to have a 10-point lead in the second half of the Super Bowl. Now, for the Eagles, this is where the NFC is different from the AFC. The AFC, you got to thread needle and thread needle and thread needle and thread needle to get to the Super Bowl. You got to win all sorts of crazy games under certain circumstances where it looks like you're going to lose. You got to dig deep. You got to find yourself. You got to somehow get past the Jaguars when Patrick Mahomes is injured. You got to somehow beat the Bengals when it feels like they are making it Burrowhead Stadium. And then you got to somehow come back from 10 points down in the Super Bowl. Right. The Eagles did not have yeah. a gauntlet to run. No. When you think about it. They splattered the Giants on that Saturday night in the divisional round. They had the bye week, so they didn't play in the wild card round. And then they had the Brock Purdy thing where the NFC Championship became a cakewalk. So they don't – Yeah, and, and who knows what it's going to be this year. But I think it's easier for them to get back, far easier for them to get back than for the Chiefs to get back. But it's still not – simple right it's not you know you have to put yourself back in what dennis green called the valley of zero and zero and fight your way out of it when teams are going to be gunning for you maybe more than they were last year but i don't write them off i don't say oh no no last year was your chance that was your window the window's closed now yeah the window's wide open for the eagles yeah it is it's why i mean they're 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 just starting the lifeline of this team that's what's amazing that's where I don't think they're going anywhere. Like, where I could see maybe a Super Bowl hangover just a little bit early in the year, right? But, like, yeah, this is the best roster in the game. And and it was the best team in football last year. And to your point, I think you're spot on. We brought that up during the Super Bowl a little bit, during that week that, you know, we felt that the Kansas City was used to being, oh, wait, we're in a close football game. We, we questioned whether Philadelphia, what they would do and how they would handle that. You know, that was the first game all year that – Philadelphia threw haymakers and landed them and and knocked them in the head and slapped them in the face and did everything else and it was the first time all year a team got up and said so we're we're coming back we don't 
care. We're going to start throwing punches too. You knocked us down. So what? And I think there was a little bit of like, oh, no. Oh, wow. And then like A.J. Brown, who I love. A.J. Brown's becoming one of my favorite players in football. His realness and how he talks, how he handles social media. He's amazing. But like he said after the Super Bowl, when we went down and kicked that field goal and didn't score the touchdown, it crept into their head. Uh Uh-oh. Wait. They didn't go down with some of our haymakers. They're here. Mahomes is going to go down and score. Oh, no, we could lose this game. And they hadn't been in a lot of those scenarios where, like you said, the Chiefs are like, well, we we do this every other week. This is no big deal. We did this on the way to the Super Bowl a few years ago and won the Super Bowl. So, okay, we're coming back. We don't care. We're used to brawls. I think it's a very valid point there, Mike. It is a total different mindset in those two conferences right now. And you're right, easier to get back, harder to win. Yeah. Because the yeah. AFC champion, whoever it may be, will have emerged from that meat grinder where they are ready to deal with adversity. The Eagles had it a little too easy on their path to the Super Bowl, and maybe they weren't ready. Maybe in those key moments, they got a little tight because they hadn't been in those key moments, right? With the Nick Sirianni propensity to go for it on fourth down, I was critical of two occasions where I thought he should have gone for it on fourth down. Right. But he hadn't faced that moment where the season is flashing before his eyes. He hadn't had to deal with that in the postseason to maybe have himself in the right mindset to know I got to go for it. I can't play it safe here. I can't coach to lose. I have to coach to win or coach not to lose. I have to coach to win. So, I, you know, a point that, that was on that graphic, if we want to put it back up, uh, Super Bowl hangover. Yeah, let's I, talk about look, that for I, a I second. Said it depends upon... It depends upon the team. It depends upon the year. It depends upon a lot of factors. But here's the reality. Only once since the 71-72 Dolphins has a team lost the Super Bowl and come back the next year and won the Super Bowl. And that's the 2018 Patriots. After they lost to the Eagles, a heartbreaker, shootout, they got back and won the Super Bowl the next year. It is not easy to do. And that's all that's all the fans of the team that lost the Super Bowl want. They want to get back to the top of the mountain and be the one to plant the flag. It's not a it's not a satisfying experience if they got back to the playoffs the next year. It's expected they're going to get back to the playoffs. It's expected they're going to compete for the Super Bowl. The fans of the team that lost the Super Bowl aren't going to be satisfied until they win it. And only once since the Dolphins, who lost Super Bowl five, Super Bowl six, excuse me, to the Cowboys and then went undefeated the next year and won Super Bowl seven. That's that's the only time it's happened since then was when the Patriots pulled it off. So if the Eagles and obviously they aspire to do it, every team aspires to win the Super Bowl. We know that it's just not going to be easy to do because yeah. it rarely happens, Chris. And, you know, whether it's you played a longer season, you have a bigger target on your back. Exactly. You forget how hard it was to get to the top of the mountain. You take for granted the climb. Right. It's hard to put yourself back in that spot and climb again. Whatever it is, there's a lot of factors. And we're talking about a third-year head coach that's going to have to navigate his team through these various factors that teams rarely successfully surmount to get to the top of the of the mountain. No, it, it, listen, it's not easy. You know, is it overblown subject to a degree? Maybe, right? I think that we've gotten caught here in a phase of the last 10 to 12 years where you could talk about this a little bit. And we've, you know, had some marquee quarterbacks who are able to overcome 
that and some teams that I think are marquee that are just they were so good and their quarterback like a Mahomes or whatever they're not going to let the team die down Brady whoever they're just not going to it's not going to happen you know it's like okay hey we're going to go back and here we go again and I'm going to drive be the driving force and lead us but uh it is still a real thing and it, it is not easy like you said to come back you know from from the the most devastating loss of your athletic career that that's you know and like you said you put in all that time and effort all year long and you're envisioning what's our life gonna be like after we win this Super Bowl and what the night's gonna be awesome after the game and this is gonna be so fun and then you lose and it just feels like the whole year was lost and you know of course it was a great year by the Eagles but I'm sure they feel like you know not to say it's a waste of a year but certainly feels like that when you don't come away with the main prize we will have a draft later in the program of the best non-quarterbacks in the NFC East. We have been doing that division by division. Meanwhile, the team that A.J. Brown came from a year ago, the Tennessee Titans, they went from number one seed in 2021, lost to the Bengals in the divisional round, failed to make the playoffs last year, surrendered the division to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Video surfaced yesterday, and it's fun to watch, and the music's great. Mike Vrabel, great charismatic head coach, dropping some F-bombs, and and encouraging his guys to push the sled. That's what they're doing at OTAs. And cornerback Sean Murphy Bunting said, we do things a lot of other teams in the league aren't doing at this time. Now, I don't know what the correlation is between pushing the sled in May and winning football games in September, October, November, December, January, but they sure seem to be having a great time, and they're working hard, and they're making it fun, and that does not look easy. What no. they're doing, that's something I've never done. It doesn't look easy. No, it's brutal. I think it's about building character, getting competition, you know, getting the juices and the blood flowing. Hey, who's going to win this? Let's work. Hey, it's the middle of practice. Let's do something like this and get tired, and then let's see if we can finish the rest of the practice and still be sharp. I think there's a lot of that going on, you know, and in an era, too, where you can't hit and go as crazy on the practice field. You've got to find some different ways to – get the guys that compete and go all out in certain ways. And I think that's where Mike Brabel and the Tennessee Titans are, are being creative with their approach here. A couple of great moments in the audio of that video that, that we saw yesterday. There's one point where Mike Vrabel is interacting with one player and you hear a voice off camera say says who and he turns around and says says effing me (laughs) yeah that's amazing and then (laughs) and then and then if you watch the video and you go to about 52 seconds in i swear someone (laughs) refers to vrabel as the ham man now, maybe that's just selective hearing yeah. on my part right. because I really want to think that the prize he got for being the PFT Coach of the Year for 2021, a honey-baked ham, at his request, that started this whole very expensive habit that is coming to an end, frankly, in 2023, or at least <laughs> it's going to be revised dramatically. But I'd like to think, and I'm telling myself, lest anyone tell me otherwise the accurate facts that they call him Ham Man because he got a ham for being the PFT Coach of the Year. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's, like, told, you know, a lot of people how much he likes ham. I mean, the fact that he could call, you know, you talk to him on the phone or wherever that conversation happened, 
and he wants a ham and to send it down, and it obviously means it's on the forefront of his brain there. <laughs> he likes it a little bit. But he's got – Well, here's he, how it went. Here's how it went because he, he didn't bring it up. I did. Yeah. Quick story. Yeah. For those of you who haven't heard it yet or have forgotten, I texted him, congratulations to the coach of the year. He said, what do I get for it? And I joked, a canned ham. And he said – I like honey baked, so I sent him one. So it wasn't like he brought up the ham. I brought up the ham as a joke. Yeah, well, he he didn't blink once you said it, though. He was like, damn, I do like no, that, no. actually. <laughs> so there was a liking there. But, you know, that's that's where he's uh, he's direct, right, up front. He was as a football player. I think, as we always talk about, players want that. That's all they want. Just shoot them straight. That's the number one thing. Don't BS me. Don't politic me. Don't schmooze me. Do I need to get better? Am I doing good? What do I need to work on? If you got to tell me some four-letter words along the way to get me to do better, sure, fine. You know, he's got that thing that we talk about, you know, with some of the other great coaches. He's a psycho in a good way, like a Shanahan, a Pete Carroll, a McVay, whatever, where, yes, it, it permeates through their team, and he gets his guys to play a physical brand of football where they don't hesitate because – he does stuff like this. That builds culture right there. When you talk about culture and camaraderie, guys pushing each other, competing against each other. You get to see a guy who, you know, whoa, man, he, he's got something where he can dig down deep and still fight through this even though he's dead and it makes players respect him. And that's, that's what Mike Vrabel's doing there, and I, I got a lot of respect for that. Here's an example of how direct Vrabel is, and I don't want to talk out of school here, uh, but – I asked him a question at one point last year, and I preface it by saying, my goal is to sound not stupid. Can you help me? Okay. And he said, and he answered my question, and then he said, by the way, save the self-deprecating not stupid bullshit for someone else. <laughs> oh <my God>. uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. I'm, I'm not shocked by that. But, yes, he is very direct. That's for sure. I Even I saw him at Indy last year, you know, at the draft and, and I mean, at the combine. You and, still think he doesn't like you. Well, I don't. Well, he's so direct. And, you know, a guy like me, he probably doesn't like me. I'm big mouth. He probably thinks I'm a little too, like, arrogant <laughs> or whatever else. And, you know, I've talked some crap about Brady, so he's probably heard that. He doesn't like that, whatever. Um, but either way, like, I think I hope he knows he's got respect for him. But you know, where you know where that they ask you for the autographs at the combine, right? There's always that group there of people behind the rope that are asking for autographs. And you know, I try to be nice and do that. Vrabel walks by and everybody's yelling for him, Mike, 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 sign my autograph, sign my autograph. And he looks at him and he goes, Please. And, you know, and they all say please, and then he does it. <laughs> that's, that's just the way he's he's great that way. And we just we I chuckled as I heard him say that. <laughs> There's a short list of head coaches in the NFL I'd want to play for, and he'd be at the top of it because it challenges you. You want to please him. Right. You want him to be proud of you. Exactly. Remember that clip last year of him going out and meeting Ben Jones coming off the field yeah. when Jones fought through injury to play, and he right. was truly emotional. I mean, you want that. You want that. That, that causes you to dig deep inside yeah, of yourself exactly. and find things, access things that you didn't know you had right. because you're trying to please this person who is your coach. There is a strong connection there. I tell that story all the time about when I was a kid, the coach who would kick me in the ass if I was standing around and how that still drives me today to sure. never stand around right. for fear of being kicked in the ass. It stays with you. Maybe not you know, the best way to develop someone, but you know. <laughs> but some it is. It worked it to does. a certain some extent. Some it is, yeah. Uh, Guys like you and me, it, it is good. It is. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I hear you. It's got some benefit there. 
You know, now, yeah, as a coach, you got to know who those guys are, and sometimes you got to be a little more delicate with other people. And I, I think he, first off, doesn't want those kind of guys on his team, so there's not very many of those delicate people. And then second off, I think he's got the touch to do that either way. So he's, he's, he's a damn good coach. I'm with you, Mike. And on the issue of children, precocious, potentially misbehaving, potentially profane. Oh, my God. Here's a little clip. I hope you guys get this. There he is, Man. sitting with Regis. Look at him. He had a giant head at the time. <laughs> no wonder. You, you could have stomped Danny DeVito. Look at that <laughs> smile. That doesn't – that's amazing. Uh, yeah, your dad looks very nervous. Oh, he is. Very nervous about what's going to come out of your mouth. Definitely nervous, right. Yeah, no, definitely nervous. And then what? I said something else silly because, you know, of course, I'm such a toehead. Oh, you punched him in the chest. I punched him in the whoa, chest. Whoa, we got to rewind that. <laughs> that's where you got your move. Uh, he grabbed your cheek and you punched him in the chest. Yeah, I don't let him know. You can't boss me around. I'm from Jersey mofo okay come on I know you're reading this film and all that but you know it was it was funny uh, also my my sister had just been born right before this so my mom's only a few weeks out of having a, a baby there and he asked me about my sister and what she looks like and you know I'm a toehead my dad's nickname growing up was Whitey in Louisville Kentucky okay just to give you some you know knowledge there but my sister came out with darker hair. So Regis asked me, so what color was your sister's hair? And I said black, right? And then he made a big thing about it. Well, you know, what's daddy been doing? Or who, you know, he kind of made like, whose kid is this? And all that. So it was really, uh, it's really funny. And it kind of lasted the test of time there. <laughs> but look, he gets, he gets the blow to the chest. That's where you learned how on TV to hit someone on the chest. Regis got it before I did. And that's probably the only time Regis got it. I get it all the time. We're together. That's great, though. That's great. All right, let's take a break. Alex Smith has a strong opinion on whether defensive coaches are good for young quarterbacks. We'll delve into that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 